Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Yo, yo, what up, Epiph Brooklyn? It's so good to be gathered with God's people. Psalm 122 says it this way. I was glad when they said unto me, let us log on to Epiphany Church. It is a good Sunday to be gathered with God's people. Honestly, any Sunday that we get together is a good Sunday. Uh, Even though we're gathering through technology, nevertheless, uh, we are not absent in terms of uh, worship and the word of God. Speaking of the word of God, I want to cut out all the small talk, and I want to get right to it today. Grab your Bibles and get to Romans, Romans, Romans. We are back in the book of Romans. As you turn there, uh, let me briefly for a moment mention uh, how important it is in in this, uh, really this second wave. Uh, I just want to mention how important it is for us to be careful and Uh, not let our guard down. I think, you know, we've been in this pandemic for a long time. And so it's easy for us to feel like, you know, this thing is passing us over, even though we see the numbers ticking up. And it's easy for you to start to feel like you're immune to anything. But the reality is, I think we still have to be very, very careful. So many people are still uh, getting sick. There are so many people that are still not recovering from this virus. In fact, I looked at the numbers yesterday, 281 people Uh, 281,000 people in the U.S. have uh, passed away because of this virus, 1.5 million worldwide. I uh, posted something on Facebook that said every 43 seconds, someone died this week from this virus. And so this certainly is not the time to to, to let loose. Uh, I just want to encourage you to just be careful. Make sure you are loving your neighbor well by wearing your mask and Make sure that you're doing all the proper uh, uh, social distancing that you need to do uh, to make sure, you know, you, you're being safe. I know, you know, some people are waiting for a vaccine. Some people are like, I'm not taking no vaccine. Where, wherever you land on that spectrum, I think uh, it's important for us to just be careful. Uh, one more note I just want to mention about that. We are not in a place as a church where we are ready to gather back uh, yet because of the spike in numbers. I think... You know, millions of people gathered with their families last week uh, over holiday time. I think people were just tired of being away and tired of being, you know, isolated into their homes. And so, you know, we all gather with our families. And I do think that there is going to be a spike in the numbers. And then we don't know what the next administration is going to do when they get in. I I guess the point I'm making is we there's so many uncertainty, uh, uncertain um, measures that we need to think about when it comes to 2021. Uh, but nevertheless, if you do me a favor, pray for the church at large. The, the, the body of Christ will be okay. The body of Christ will make it through this pandemic because our head is Jesus Christ. Uh, but if you get a moment, please send up a prayer for the local church. Uh, and if you're a member of Epiphany Church, send up a prayer for our church. All right. We are back in the book of Romans. Man, I don't know about y'all, but I am excited. Got a couple people in the, in the spot today, and I'm excited about that. Romans, man, this has been a journey. We, we kicked off this journey uh, January 2019. I know it doesn't feel like it, but January 2019 is when we started to go through the book of Romans. And we made a commitment that we would go through all 16 chapters. And we said once we get around chapter 8, we were going to take a break and take a couple months off and do some topical stuff before we uh, catched our breath and jumped back in uh, to Romans. I anticipated Romans 9 would be a tough chapter. And so I said right before that, we need to 
we need to break. And then so we, we did so and then we were ready to jump back in and we jumped back into chapter 10. And I don't know if you all remember, but that was January, right when uh, the numbers started to spike up. And so we got detoured again unexpectedly. We actually should have been finished with the book of Romans, but we took a detour. But I'm excited, man. You know, the Bible says never make a vow unless you're willing to keep it. And we made a vow that we would go through all 16 chapters. And so here we are in chapter 11 today. And I'm excited about going verse by verse and line by line through the rest of the book. Uh, if you have any familiarity with our church, we, I mean, we're serious and passionate about going through books of the Bible. We, uh, if you've been logged on for the last couple of months, you, you might not know this, but we've gone through Colossians, we've gone through 1 Peter, we've gone through Jonah, we've gone through Habakkuk. In fact, we went through Habakkuk when half the church didn't even know how to pronounce Habakkuk. Uh, and now we're going through the book of Romans, and I believe there's a lot more in the last few chapters that it's going to take us a couple of months to get through. And so somewhere around the spring, we'll be finishing up the book of Romans. But if you'll do me a favor, just hang in there. Just type that in somewhere in the chat room. Tell somebody to hang in there. Uh, I promise you each week will almost feel like a standalone, uh, but it's all connected to the word of God. And I don't have any editorial rights to skip over any of it. So let's dig in today. 10 chapter, 10, 10 verses, I'm going to focus really on the first six because I think the, the latter part of this really leads us into next week, which I don't want you to miss that either. All right, pick me up verse one. We're in Romans 11. Romans 11, verse number one says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Watch this answer. By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and they have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant, please underline these three words, chosen by grace. Watch how he defines this. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it, what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them the spirit of stupor. Eyes that would see, that would not see, and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and the retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. I, I simply want to preach today, lifting up verse number six one more time, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. I'm going to preach for a short time today on the topic, let grace be grace. Do me a favor, just type that in for somebody else that's going to pop in in a few minutes. Let grace be grace. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word that is full of promises and full of truth. And laced with grace. It is Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 that I'm reminded of. You are not a man that you should lie. 
neither the son of man that you should repent. And so, God, we thank you for your commitment to truth telling. We thank you for your commitment to promise keeping. We live in a time and in a season in a culture where we don't value the truth anymore. We live in a culture where promises are made all the time but never kept. But with you, oh God, if you said it, Father, we can take that thing to the bank. And so, Father, I thank you, oh God, for your truth that's in this word today. And I pray that we would be able to gain something that would enlighten our eyes and that would transform our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let grace be grace. My wife would tell you I have a unique dislike for the circus. If you like the circus, like praise God for you. I just I there's something about the circus that doesn't sit right with me and it it doesn't matter. I've been to several circuses before. I mean there there's the Big Apple Circus and there there's the Universal Brothers Circus. I went to the Universal Brothers Circus, and when I tell you, there, there was something that, I don't know, I just couldn't sit through it. In fact, uh, when my family and I went halfway through, I literally had to get up and leave. It, it just, something just wasn't, it made me anxious. There was one moment where there was at least five guys on the trapeze, and they were swinging, and they were on the ropes, and they were up in the ceiling. They were just like swinging, and they were doing flip, and they were catching. My heart was like pumping out of my chest, and I'm so worried that somebody's going to get hurt, and they're just swinging on the trapeze and swinging and swinging and swinging. And a few times, not often, but a few times, even these professionals weren't able to catch the next swing and fell off. But thank God when they fell off, there was a net under them. And this net was a unique net. It, it just wasn't just a bunch of ropes under them. This net has, had, had a certain level of elasticity to it. That when they hit the net, it bounced them back up to where they could jump back on the, the trapeze and they could continue right in the rhythm as though they never fell off. There were a few times people would fall and it would almost look like it was an intentional fall in a deeper way, in a much higher way, this is how God's grace works. As you and I are on the trapeze called life, there are times where you will fall, where you will mess up, where you will make bad decisions. But God's grace acts as the net underneath you. That when you're not able to make that catch and when you're falling and when you're making mistakes, you will fall. But God's grace will bounce you back up to get right back into the rhythms of like make no mistake about it. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you will fall. It, it doesn't matter how, how long you've walked with Jesus. It doesn't matter what your prayer life looks like. Like, please, I'm not telling you not to have a prayer life. Please have a consistent prayer life. Have a consistent reading regimen. Be faithful in your devotion to the Lord. But please don't get it twisted. We live in a world that is surrounded by sin. Deep inside of us, we still have a nature of sin. It will be perfected when we get to heaven and we sit with the Lord forever. But until then, there's expectation that you and I will make mistakes. But thank God for his net of grace. That every time you fall, you will get back up. And if it was not for that net, you would never be able to pursue God for the rest of your life if you've trusted in Jesus but it is this mechanism called grace that he put into your life that allows you to stay on the journey. One of the biggest concerns I had with the pandemic, besides death and besides sickness, was the spiritual dullness that has accompanied it. 
I don't know if you felt it. I mean, some of you might just be more spiritual than me. There were a few months I was going, God, I, I, just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't feel connected. I, I don't feel connected to you. Maybe it was the absence of the body and the absence of community. There were just times I just did not feel connected to the Lord. Is that your story? I mean, I, I don't know. But if you could let me know, like in the chat room, is that your story? Where there are times where you just felt disconnected from the Lord. This pandemic has certainly caused some of us not only to feel disconnected, but to make bad decisions. This pandemic has caused some of us to make mistakes. This pandemic has caused some of us to backslide. It has caused some of us to openly walk into sin. You, you know what I'm talking about. Those times where you walk into sin and you are already rehearsing your repentance as you're going into the moment of sin. That there have also been times where some of you Walked into it and you know what we do. God, I promise I'll never do it again. Only to find yourself in a cycle of what you said you would never do again. And then there's another group that literally the pandemic has caused such a spiritual dullness that you don't even think about the Lord anymore. That when you walk into a, a moment of sin, you, God is not even on your mind. I'm thinking about David in Psalm 51 where David fell with Bathsheba and he says against you and you alone have I sinned. Some of us don't even think about how our actions break the very heart of God. Truth is, for some of us, this is not a past tense reality, but it is very present for some of us. For some people right now, the pandemic has put it on us so bad that we have found ourselves walking back into our old ways of life. And whether that is a lack of purity in your relationship, whether that is just falling back into old habits that you felt like the Lord has redeemed you from, that you felt like you have overcome but whether that is just living a life that is not conducive to Christ's likeness, some of us have failed. But here's the question that is on the table this morning. What do you do in the moments when you fall? Do you feel like your relationship with the Lord is broken? Let me see if I can say that another way. When you make mistakes, do you feel like God has given up on you? Let me say it another way. When you make a bad decision, do you feel like Christ doesn't love you anymore? Well, I think Paul is going to help us with this understanding because he's going to really sum this whole idea of you falling, but yet God still being there to love you and to restore you and to forgive you if repentance is present. I think what Paul is going to help us to understand that is with one word. Here it is. Grace. And he's going to show us grace by looking at, watch this, his relationship with Israel, his people, his, the covenant that he's made with them. He's going to show you how strong that covenant is. Ultimately, Paul is going to show us that God's commitment to us is not based on our ability to maintain the relationship. I don't know about you, but if my relationship was God, with God was based on my ability to maintain it, I'd lose the relationship. But Paul is going to show us that the relationship is based on God's goodness and God's kindness and God's grace, his ability to maintain the relationship. Look at the question that he opens up with here. Let, let me warn you real quick. The question he opens up with in verse one. Yes, it's directed to the ancient Jew, but I would argue that it is also directed and very fitting for the present Christian. 
Let me say that again. The question that Paul opens up with in Romans chapter 11 verse 1 is directed to the ancient Jew, but it is very fitting for the present Christian. What is the question he opens up with? We'll deal with just the question for a second. Has God rejected his people? You got to understand that up to this point, Paul acknowledges that Israel's rejection of Christ was part of God's sovereign plan to extend salvation to the Gentiles. But Paul insists that God, even though he has extended salvation to the Gentiles, Paul is going to argue that he ain't done with Israel yet. He's going to argue that Israel is still his people. He's going to argue that Israel still has a covenant with God. And God is like, I don't go back on my covenant. When I read this opening question, has God rejected his people? I scratched my head and said, why would Paul feel the need to even ask this question? Why would Paul ask, why is God, has God rejected his people? You got to understand something. This is deep. Don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. Romans chapter 11 is connected to Romans chapter 10. I know that's deep. I know, I know. And Romans chapter 10 is connected to Romans chapter 9. And Romans chapter 9 and, and uh, Romans chapter 10, the, one of the main things that Paul does is he tries to explain to Israel that they've wandered. He's tried to explain over the last few chapters, go back and read them from chapter 9, the middle of chapter 9, all the way through chapter 10. He's trying to explain to Israel that you rejected the Messiah, that God, the one you said you have a covenant with, he sent his son and you rejected him. Therefore, you rejected even God, the father. So he's trying to show them, listen, you're disobedient. You're wandering. You're wayward. And he's talking directly to Israel. In fact, in chapter 10, the very last verse, verse 21, this is how he ends before the before verse one of chapter 11, the very next preceding verse. Here's what he says. He says all day long. God says all day long. I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul was trying to get them to understand the Jews to understand that they were disobedient. He was trying to get them to understand that they rejected Christ and by rejecting Christ, they were rejecting God, their father. John chapter 6, verse 44, say it this way Jesus says, No man can come to the Father except through me. So Paul is like, You rejected Christ, God in the flesh, and therefore you rejected the God that you thought you were in covenant with. Paul is trying to get them to open their eyes to embrace Christ. You got to understand, Israel was extremely disobedient. In fact, I'll, I'll say it this way, Nina, if we could. Just really do, if we could sum up the Old Testament and Israel's relationship with God, here's how I would sum it up. It is a cycle of disobedience on Israel's part, punishment, and then God's forgiveness. That, that's, the, that's the Old Testament. Israel's disobedience, punishment, God's forgiveness. Israel, back again, disobedient. God's punishment, but forgiveness. But notice that the relationship always ends with God's forgiveness. Exodus shows us how disobedient Israel was. The Bible says that when they were brought out of bondage in Egypt, all they did was complain against God and complained against his leaders. Israel often worshiped other gods like Baal. Israel, when they didn't have another God to worship like Baal, they built their own God. Read Exodus chapter 32, where they built a golden calf and began to worship the golden calf. There were often times where they broke the commandments like Nadab and Abihu often broke the commandments. Moses even sinned by striking the rock. 
At one point, you see God is so tired and fed up with Israel that he sends poisonous snakes to start to bite them and kill them. In the book of Numbers, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because they were disobedient and full of complaints. They were unfaithful to God. But watch this. Please don't miss this. If you miss everything else, okay, don't miss this point. That even though Israel was marked in the Old Testament by sin and disobedience and unfaithfulness. What Paul does in Romans chapter 11 is secure them in the fact that God is still with them. He secures, he says, look, y'all in these streets bugging. Y'all in these streets acting crazy. But the God that you serve still loves you, still forgives you. And he sums it up in one word. Grace. God has not cut Israel off. In fact, he answers the question. He says, has God rejected his people? Here it is. By no means. Now, let me let me fast forward to 2020, about to be 2021. Let me fast forward us and get us out of the covenant with Israel. God has also made a covenant with anybody that has put faith in Jesus Christ. God says stuff like, I will never leave them nor forsake them. Let me help you out. Israel ain't the only ones that have made mistakes. Israel is not the only one who has been unfaithful to God. Israel is not the only one that has backslid. Israel is not the only one who has wandered. So it is with some of us in the last several months of this pandemic. So it is with some of us with our decision making. Some of us have rejected God, not in our words, but in our actions. I only need people that will be honest today. And I know I'm not talking to everybody. Some of y'all have been faithful to the Lord and you've been walking with the Lord. And in the midst of the pandemic, I mean, I baptized some people last week. And when I tell you the the word, uh, the worship was in the room where people were crying and really committing their life to the Lord. So I know this ain't everybody, but there's a group that has wandered and walked away. And I didn't pick this passage today because I felt the need to preach this. This passage is before us because God wants to get you back. He says, look, I ain't leave you. Have I rejected Israel? By no means. Do I reject my covenant with my people that have put faith in Jesus Christ? By no means. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's somebody that has made a mistake. There's somebody that some of us that are still on this sanctifying journey called life. And on this sanctifying journey called life, there will be times where you will fall off the spiritual trampes. But I thank God for the net of grace. I thank God that when I fall, God is able to bounce me back up. And my prayer and my hope is that I wouldn't fall again. Don't take advantage of grace and don't take advantage of the net. But just just like those professionals didn't take advantage, they didn't lay on the net. They didn't fall on it and grab on it so that they wouldn't bounce back up. But they allowed it to push them right back into the rhythms of life. I feel like I got to put some Bible right here as it relates to grace. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Somebody type this in for me. Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. Here it is. In your weakness. Paul assumes to the Corinthians that y'all are weak. Y'all, y'all are weak. Y'all need grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 20. Let's go back to that. He says here where sin increase. Grace abounds all the more. God built into every human being a mechanism called grace so that his holiness wouldn't cut us off when we made a mistake. 
Because you got to understand God's holiness. See, God is so holy that he does not allow dysfunction and sin to be in his presence. So he has to put grace in between you and him so that he doesn't cut you off every time you make a mistake. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for grace. I'm grateful for grace. I'm grateful that my relationship, the perseverance of the saints relies on God's ability to pursue me, not my ability to pursue him. We serve a God that puts the strength of our relationship on him, not our ability to walk straight. You don't, when, when you fall and there's somebody on here right now, you feel like because you've messed up the last several months that God has done away with you. You, you feel like because you've messed up that you and God don't have a relationship no more. But if you've trusted in Jesus, here it is. You got eternal life. And if you can lose it, it's temporary life. But thank God that God promises that when I save them, I keep them all the way until they come home with me. It's called grace. I love the Stevie Wonder song, part-time lover. God is not a part-time lover. He don't love you sometimes, and then when you mess up, he doesn't love you anymore. Yes, he wants you to get back on the path of walking and looking more like Christ, but there are those moments you fall. I love it. We got to advocate with the Father when you do fall. So, so I'm, I'm so glad that he gave me uh, the strength of his walk with me, not my walk with him. God has not let you go. I'm simply trying to free somebody up today. Because Israel right now would have at least a small portion. See, next week we're going to talk about the remnant that did reject Christ. But at least a small portion, God is like, my covenant is still strong with you. And I want to free somebody up that messed up 2020. Guess what? If the Lord says the same, you got a few more weeks till you get to 2021. And I'm not promising that this is going to be your year of increase, but I am saying this. If you messed up and made bad decisions in 2021, you should dust yourself off and get back in your relationship with the Lord. Here's why. Because he misses you. Have have God rejected his people? Verse one, by no means. Paul says, you know what? I got to give you an example now. He says in verse one, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of of Benjamin. In other words, Paul is like, look, if God rejected his people, then me as a Jew, your boy is cut off too. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, God ain't rejected his people. Proof is that I still got a relationship with him. That's what Paul is essentially is saying. And here's what I know about Paul. If anybody should be disconnected based on behavior, it's Paul. Can we just, can we keep it real for a second? You know, that you've been messing up when Jesus himself gets face to face with you and says, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus had to come down. He had to knock Paul off the horse and, re- and remind him that you're in sin. You are persecuting the very church that I died for. You are going against my body. You are going. And he, it was so personal to him. He doesn't say, why are you rejecting? Uh, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? In other words, you persecute my church. You persecute me. Now, that's what Jesus is saying to Paul. And that this is Paul that gave orders to uh, other Jews to kill Christians, drag them out of their homes and persecute them. It's the same Paul that brags in the book of Philippians. He brags about how zealous he was in persecuting Christians. But even though Paul is a prime candidate to be disconnected from God, 
Paul understands that it is grace that allows him to still be in relationship with God. Paul says, I know I made some mistakes, but Jesus, God, still loved me. God loves me. God does not con- disconnect from you when you make a mistake. And I, I feel somebody today. I really I feel you coming back to the Lord. I feel you've wandered off. I feel somebody today. Don't disconnect. Don't check out today. I feel somebody reading this passage and saying, you know what? Put your name there. Has God rejected his people? Put your name there. Has God rejected whatever your name is? And here's the answer. By no means. God does not reject his people. God still loves you. You, you, you logged on today for me to just tell you God still keeps his promises. God is still reliable. God is still committed to his very word. This is not the season to run from God. No, no, it's the season to run to God. This is not the season to feel ashamed about where you are. This is the season to actually get connected, back connected with God. And God misses you. Even though you've been fickle, God is still faithful. Even though you've made bad decisions, God is still there. And God is sitting there with open arms. Can, can, can I go deeper here? The reason that he doesn't cut us off is because the foundation of which he chose you on is the foundation in which he maintains the relationship on. I don't know if that makes sense. How God chose you is how God continues to maintain the relationship. Let me put Bible here. Look at verse five with me real quick. In verse 5, he says, he says, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant. Here's how they're chosen. Chosen by grace. Is that in your Bible? Is Is that on your device? There is a remnant. There is a group. There is a covenant group of people that I have chosen. Watch this. Not by merit. Not by works. But I chose them by grace. I chose them by grace. I chose them by grace. Let that sink in for a second. You are chosen by grace. I literally drew a line out to the margin and I wrote, thank you for selecting me based on grace. Because if you selected me on another term like merit, I would have never got selected. I don't know if you are hearing me today. If God chose to select you on anything other than grace, you would never have gotten selected. But we got selected based on grace. Elijah here thought that he was the only faithful servant. If you read back to verse number two all the way to verse number six, Paul, uh, uh, Elijah thought that he was the only uh, faithful servant to God. And God had to remind him, bro, I got 7,000 servants that I have that have not bowed a knee to Baal. But then he goes on to say, in the same way, this remnant was chosen by grace. There are 7,000 people that I connected to myself and I chose them by grace. And I thank God for choosing me by grace because I, that means I don't have, I'm not chosen by performance. I, this is not an audition. God didn't stand 10 of us up and say, let's see who can dance the best. Let's see who can sing the best. Let's see who can read their Bible the best. Let's see who the most eloquent is. God says all of them is whack without me. So therefore, I got to give them some grace because it is only grace. God did not select you because you crossed every T. God does not maintain the relationship because you dot every I. You are selected by grace and you are maintained by grace. Can somebody type that in? I'm selected by grace, chosen by grace. 
I'm chosen by grace and I'm maintained by grace. God's grace isn't a new concept. It is woven into the redemptive history. Paul is reminding us, looking back at God's covenant and how he chose his people. It wasn't because Israel was so dope. It's because Israel was so whack and they needed God. That is why God chose them. God chose Israel by grace. And here it is. God chooses you by grace. God maintains the relationship with Israel by grace. And God maintains the relationship with you by grace. If you were chosen by grace, you will be sustained by it. God doesn't choose you because you had it together or you add value to him. God chooses you because of his great mercy. We were trifling. We were unfaithful. We were, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, by nature children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy and full of grace, he selects us. Grace snatches us up, but grace keeps us snatched. Does that make sense? Grace swoops down and snatches you, but grace keeps you snatched. It is by grace that I am still saved. Did you know? I don't know if you knew this, but grace expects future rebellion. Pause in here for a second. Grace expects that you will mess up. The very reason God gives you grace is because He knows you live in a world of sin. Grace knows that you are not as spiritual as you come across. Grace knows that you don't pray as much as you ought to. Grace understands that you're not as connected to reading your word as you think you are. Grace expects future rebellion. I know I'm asking you all to type in a lot, but would you type that in again for me? Grace expects future rebellion. Rebellion. Now, that is not a license to go out and sin, but you should understand that 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, I am writing these things to you so that you may know that if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Grace knows you're going to mess up. Grace knows you're not always going to do the right thing. Grace knows you're not always going to make the right decision, but I'm grateful for wondrous grace. You know that song? I, I love that song, man. T.D. Jakes redid the song. I, I, I love T.D. Jakes' version. You should listen to that today. It's very charismatic and churchy, and I love it. Wondrous grace. Song says, grace, oh grace, if it wasn't for your grace, where would I be? If it wasn't for your grace, grace, wondrous grace that brought me. Wondrous grace that taught me. If it wasn't for your grace, where would I be? I was chosen by grace. Are you reading that in verse number six or verse number five? It's chosen by grace. And therefore, your boy is maintained by grace. Grace is the start, it's the middle, and it's the end. Let, let me see if I can make that a little bit plainer. Grace is what saved you. Grace is what sustains you. And grace is what takes you home. At no point is there merit. At no point is there performance. In fact, Paul is going to double down on this. He's going to double down on this very thought. Look at what he says in verse 5. I hope y'all are tracking with me. So too, at this present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. Verse 6, he doubles down. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Let me highlight this point. It is no longer on the basis of works. It is no longer on the basis of works. It is no longer on the basis of works. If you have to perform, it's not grace. You got to earn it. It's not grace. 
Grace means that you got what you didn't deserve. That God lavished love on you and it's not because you were lovable. He lavished love on you because there was nothing lovable about you. But he is love. He is grace. He is mercy. And so therefore he lavishes love on you. Right, right, right in this verse, in verse number six, there is a contrast between divine activity, which is called grace, and human activity, which is called work. Human activity, work does not save you. Let me say it another way. Yes, we behave and we work and we try to do our best to obey God, but we don't do it to be saved. We do it because we are saved and there's a huge difference. If you mix up those two, you mix up the gospel. If you mix, if you're working to be saved, Paul will say in the book of Galatians, that's a whole nother gospel. That ain't the gospel. The gospel is you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And let's be honest, you can't work for it anyway. I'm going to help you out today. I'm going to free you up. I'm going to be 100 with you. You couldn't earn it if you wanted to. I couldn't earn it if I wanted to. I need this thing to be by grace. Because if you could just do more, you would, but you can't. You can't work hard enough. There's no amount of, uh, of coming to church that you can do. There, there's, there's no amount of taking communion. You can get baptized a hundredth. You can get baptized every single week. You can read your Bible faithfully, but it is not based on performance. We do those things because we are rocked by the very gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not do those things in order to be saved. God accepts us based on grace. He accepts us on grace. He does not accept us on merit. And so there is no mixing of merit and free grace. Free grace stands alone. And in this passage, he's saying to Israel, listen, a bunch of y'all messed up, but 7,000 of them I kept for myself and I chose them by grace and I maintained the relationship by grace. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's somebody in here that needs to hear this. I know some of you are like, I'm too, I'm, I'm past this, right? I've graduated from the gospel. No, no, there's somebody that needs to hear this today. There's somebody that made a mistake, that messed up, that's in that cycle of sin that I talked about at the top of the sermon. That's somebody's testimony right now. But what I love about this passage is smeared throughout this passage is grace. You'd be surprised how many Christians struggle with grace. I'm going to land the plane here. But you would be surprised. I got to do something a little bit more practical because this is... This was just going back to Israel and thinking back to ancient, you know, that can be very like, well, how does that connect to 2020? Let let me explain something to you. There are a bunch of people, especially Christians, that still don't understand grace. I don't operate. We understand it theologically, but living it out is another thing. Let me go deeper. How we deal with others. How, How you extend grace to others shows me what you think about grace in your own life with your relationship with God the Father. There's a few reasons, and I'll get practical here and I'll end. There are at least four reasons why people struggle with the idea of grace. In fact, as I'm preaching, there are a bunch of you that are saying, "Mm, he just gave everybody a license to sin because there's grace, right? There's that net, and so therefore I can just keep falling. But if, if that is your disposition, you are misunderstanding grace. Grace, for, for a believer, grace does not say, I can do whatever I want. Grace rocks you to where you don't want to do those things anymore because God allows you to live. There's at least four reasons why I think we struggle with the idea of grace. Number one, because we see grace as a doctrine, 
not a person. We understand grace theologically, but we don't understand that grace is wrapped up in a person by the name of Jesus Christ. We have to trade our academic pursuit of grace and fix our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. John 1 tells me that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He is the epitome of grace. He shows us what grace is. And so therefore, I think we would, we would struggle less with the idea of grace if we stopped looking at it from an academic standpoint and started looking at the person in which grace is found, which is Christ. Second reason why I think Christians struggle with grace. I hope y'all are rocking with me today. Second reason, because the church has not always been the best place to see grace. Listen, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to be honest with you. The church is not always the best place and the best example to see grace. Because what we've done is we've preached about grace, but we've dealt harshly with people. And when we see people fall, we automatically judge them. And we disown them. And we disconnect from them. And then everybody in the church stops talking about them. If everybody in the church stops talking to one person because they fell in sin, that's a cult. Do you hear me? We don't understand grace because the church has not often modeled grace well. So I pray for the church. I pray that the church will be a great place for you to see what grace is. We should be able to look and be like, wait, she fell and the church was able to restore her and get her back on track. And nobody judged her because the church realizes that we're all made up of a bunch of sinners that are all in need of grace. I have no reason to judge you when I realize I'm getting relationship based like just like you based on grace for the third reason. Third reason why I think we struggle with grace is because we, we struggle naturally from receiving from others. Naturally, I, I just think there are some people that have a hard time accepting anything from anybody else. We are always looking for ways to return the favor. We don't like handouts. We don't like hookups. We like deals because we're paying a portion of it, but we, 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 don't, we, don't like, we don't like feeling dependent on somebody else. And the problem with us understanding grace is grace is, makes you 100% dependent. Now, I, I understand that my relationship is 100% dependent on God to sustain it. I'm dependent on him and we don't like, we like to be independent. It's a sign of maturity, right? See, it's opposite in the kingdom. In, in the natural world, you become more mature by being more independent. But in the kingdom, you become more mature by being more dependent on grace. Fourth and final reason why I think we struggle with grace is because, and this is probably the primary reason, grace seems too easy. You know grace seems easy when you hear the gospel and then you accept, the, you accept the, the message of Christ and then you say, that's it? That's all I got to do? Baby, that's all you got to do. And unfortunately, what we've done is we always tried to add to the cross. And God is like, that's not grace if you add to it. it seems too easy. If you ask, is that it? That's probably it. Because grace is simple. You ain't got to earn it. You ain't got to work for it. 
Sometimes we think that we, once we work for something, we, are, we live in a society that is merit-based. And because we live in a society that is merit-based, it started when we was kids. And you get your name on the board, and the next person get that amount of stars, and they get candy. and It's all merit and merit and merit. And so when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, you think it's merit and merit and merit. And here it is. It's too easy for you. You want to work for something that is freely given to you. And it's called grace. I'm going to end here. I intentionally gave you a heavy dose of grace today. Because Paul gave us a heavy dose of grace. He looked at the relationship with Israel and he said, a bunch of y'all in these streets acting plumb crazy, but God still loves you. Has he rejected his people? By no means. They're chosen by grace. And if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. I don't know who it is that I'm talking to, but I'm convinced we deal harshly with other people. And it's, it's, it's a lack of understanding of grace. I don't know who it is that feel like you've messed up all of 2020. God's grace is still available to you. For the Christian, grace doesn't run out. Don't be a grace abuser, but grace doesn't run out. I simply want to pray for somebody today. Next week, we're going to deal a little bit more. We talk about the Gentiles next week and how because of the rejection of many of Israel, God extended salvation to the Gentiles. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. In fact, if you would read ahead, uh, next week we'll be in verses 11 to verses 24. And I think there's a lot in there. We'll talk a little bit more about the rejection of Israel, but we'll also talk about the acceptance of the Gentiles. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you, oh God. I pray that grace would flow through technology right now. That it would flow through these cameras and onto their devices and, and, and into people's homes. That we would understand our relationship with you better because we understand that it is by grace that you accept us and maintain us. And because of that, Father, I pray that we would live lives that are full of grace. That we would deal with people that have done us wrong with grace. And that, that, that we would look around and be quick to say, how can I extend grace today? Father, I'm also praying for marriages. I realize, Lord, that the most graceless place is a marriage. That's, that's the most intimate relationship on earth. Not a mother and a father, but a marriage. Because a marriage becomes one and it's easy to extend grace to everybody else, but deal through law with our spouse. So Father, I pray for marriages. I pray for singles today. I pray that they would understand, oh God, that their relationship, if they've trusted in you, is based on grace. And that means that everybody around them should get a, a a measure of grace. We should extend what we've been overflowed, which is kindness from you. Father, it is your kindness that brings us to repentance. And I thank you, oh God, for accepting me, not based on performance, but on grace. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that it would accomplish exactly what it said it would, which is transform lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, it's good hanging out with you guys today. I, I want to before I turn it back over to Nina, I simply want to just read a, a benediction, pray this over your life. It says, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God now unto him who was able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forevermore. Amen. Grace and peace. It was good hanging out with y'all.